Let's uh, bring in our next guest. It is Harmon Dial of The Athletic. What's up, Harm? Doing well. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing uh, We're doing awesome, man. Canucks and, and Avalanche. It's, um, it's interesting. Like, you look at the Canucks and, hey, uh, Pedersen's near a point a game over the last seven. Brock Besser, he's got up to a point a game over his last eight games. Miller's more than a point per game for the season. So, you know, those guys have come around. It's just the penalty kill that keeps holding this team back. For sure, and that and that's a big part of it. But also, even at five on five, the the thing to keep in mind is the point production is there. But when you look at uh, the, a lot of the top guns, and specifically, I'm looking at Pedersen, and it's good that he's started to round the corner. Uh, but the Canucks are still even when he's been on the ice at five on five, and. Uh, that's just, you need, I think, that line to be driving uh, a positive goal differential for you at 5-on-5 five five because you look at this team's results, and, and usually uh, I found this really interesting to look at the numbers is a lot of times over the last two or three seasons, you'll have a situation where you look at the sample of 5-on-5 five five minutes when the Pedersen line is not on the ice, and this Canucks team is usually minus 29, minus 32 uh, in terms of how badly they've been outscored at 5-on-5. Five five. So far, the Canucks are plus two uh, when Pedersen's not on the ice. So you look at lines th- two through four, um, and specifically more so the middle six, because I think the fourth line's results are kind of um, lagging. But the middle six is kind of getting the job done, right? Like when Dickinson's been on the ice, it's been even, which out of a third line, that's a substantial upgrade from what the Canucks have had in the past. Uh, I think the Horvat line, especially with Hoaglander and Pearson, have really gotten going and found some chemistry. And so even though on the surface, I think you see the encouraging point totals from some of these top guys, you're still looking for them to find that next gear uh, offensively mm-hmm. because uh, there just hasn't been enough five-on-five. And so, yeah, the penalty kill right now, we all know it's dominating, dominating the conversation and there's no way this team... Uh, is going to be competitive in the playoff hunt until that issue gets sorted. But it's not just the penalty kill. I think you still are waiting for uh, some of these top guys to find their 5-on-5 form. Because you look uh, in 2019-20, I mean, when um, the Pedersen line was on the ice, the goal differential was it was incredible. I think at 5-on-5, they had like 62 goals for and 30, 36 against, something along those lines. And... We're 15% of the way through the season right now, and again, they're even. So that's just another area that I'm kind of still waiting waiting for that Pedersen line to kind of take that step at even strength. Well, you know, that's the thing for me, Harm, here, because I look at the rest of the roster, and yeah, there are some, you know, we can quibble, we can talk about roster construction for sure, and, you know, we talk about that with the PK. I'm not sure what they can do with the personnel, and that's a roster construction issue. As far as the forwards go overall, there's stuff to work with, right? The defense, yes, it can be problematic, but Ekman Larson and Myers have been one of the top shutdown pairs in the league. Hughes is doing his thing for the most part. You can shelter a third pair. You're getting good goaltending. You have a decent backup. It all comes down to your top players, man, and my biggest concern about this team really isn't the talent it's not you know necessarily what they have to work with I think you can figure it out it's about coming together as a team it's about their best player getting through to him him being the same player he was and them not winning my biggest concern is between the ears with this group and the maturity of this group if they don't start winning and when does Patterson find it you have to find a way to get through to him I think that's gonna be the biggest question mark for this team right now 100% I mean I just pulled it up right now when, when Pedersen's been on the ice at 5-5, five five, the Canucks have scored 1.6 goals uh, for every 60 minutes that he's played. Like, that's such a far cry 
from previous seasons. Like he was flirting with four goal uh, with an on ice goals four rate of four an hour, and he was just like that's been the difference, right? And now he's not necessarily like that line isn't their defensive results are good enough to where they're not necessarily a liability, but these are your best players. You need them to be difference makers. And with Pedersen, the one thing that kind of strikes me about the 2019, 20 campaign where I think he really came alive was just right from training camp. He seemed to be able to set a tone um, with that legendary bag skate in Victoria of, it was just, he had this ability to put the team on his back in certain situations. And it was almost this kind of, um, will where he could kind of take a game over and that's the biggest thing right I haven't seen Pedersen take a game over yet uh, and that's what I'm kind of looking for out of him and I'm not sure what exactly the issue is you know obviously he's had um, you know injuries last season but now he's up to speed right like he's got some games under his belt it's just that that it's hard for me to put a finger on it and I think it's more of an intangible thing um, than anything else but he just had this ability to kind of single-handedly take a game over. And, and you've got to keep in mind, again, like in, in previous seasons, this bottom six group used to be even like forgetting the bottom six, like even the Horvat line would get outscored by substantial margins just because Horvat didn't have enough help on his wingers, right? So the middle six group, it's, it's I think, performing a lot better and you're getting better results uh, out of there. But, you know, in, in years past... Pedersen had no, like the Canucks at five on five were essentially a one line team. And it didn't really matter because whether it was on at five on five or on the power play, he, he was just able to drive elite results. And I think that's, what's kind of missing from the equation right now. And they need desperately for him to kind of find that form because it also adds to the swagger of this group, I think. And, and that's another part of when I look at how the team had success two years ago, yeah, they were flawed in terms of the bottom six, the back end, and um, defensively, but they had they had a clear identity, and they had confidence, the top guys especially with, with the top six, that no matter what team was up on the schedule, that they could just put the team on their back, and now you have the better supporting cast, I think, up front, at least, and you're missing that kind of, uh, that alpha, I'm going to put the team on my back kind of, uh, factor from Pedersen and in, in the top guys right now, I think. Yeah, you see that maybe in flashes from a JT Miller, and I think he's played yeah. pretty well, especially since that New York game, but are you seeing it from everybody else on that line? Uh, we know the lotto line has swagger when they're playing well. Uh, the PK has no swagger whatsoever. <laughs> they're in the negatives right now, Harm. And Jason Dickinson has been a player that you know a lot of people have been focusing on on the PK. Overall, though, how do you feel he's playing? Yeah, I mean, there's no secret that he needs to be better on the PK, and um, I think a lot of that has, you know, starts with the face-offs, right? You get, you win an early draw, and that's that's an easy clear. It can burn off 20, 30 seconds off the clock, and now a team's trying to enter the zone, and maybe they have issues getting set up again, and so that can be a huge difference. But on the whole, when you look at his 5-on-5 five five game, I think he's given the team an important list, right, um, where he's been a legitimate difference maker. And again, I referenced earlier, um, usually this is a Canucks team that when the top line isn't on the ice at 5-on-5, five five, they get shelled. They get just dominated on the scoreboard. And that hasn't been the case at all so far. And I think uh, the middle six has really been a key part of that. Uh, and you look at Dickinson, we mentioned the evil, even goal differential. But, you know, the offense isn't there. And people may look at, you know, one, one goal in, in 11 games. But uh, he's compensated for that with elite defensive results. If you look at Dickinson's 5-on-5 five five shots against rate, seventh best among all NHL forwards right now. And um, 
the, the team's just not allowing a lot. Uh, defensively, you look at um, when Dickinson's been on the ice, the team's outshot opponents by 11, which is the best shot share uh, of all Canucks forwards. So it's one of those situations where at 5-on-5, five five, yeah, Dickinson individually might not, pre- might not be creating a lot of offense, but it's, the other team isn't creating any offense either. So it's, you're still in a net neutral environment. And I think it, what tends to happen is, you know, people notice what happens offensively. Um, something like defensive impact with someone like Dickinson at five on five, it doesn't strike you, strike the casual viewer by the eye maybe as easily. So that impact, I think, has kind of flown uh, under the radar. And, you know, I do think offensively some of the, some of the results will kind of start to turn. You look at uh, the rate at which his lines finish chances and it's um and it's a lot lower than usual so that'll rebound and you'll see him collect a few more points here and there but uh at five on five i think he's he's come exactly as advertised in terms of hey here's a guy that's come in and when he's been when he's been on the ice teams don't generate anything when you look at shots when you look at scoring chances when you look at actual goals and that's such a big upgrade from years past where usually the third line has been caved in its own end scored on a ton and so yeah, work to be done on the PK, work to be done on the face-off circle. Uh, but at even strength, he's he's been full value, I think. Yeah, and you, you think about Pod Colson and Garland next to him, um, at least in the last couple of games, you know, they've been really dynamic, and you've seen a lot more offense maybe coming out of that line, at least chances coming out of that line. And maybe maybe that's just what it is, you know. Def- defensively, uh, Dickinson kind of holds that line down, and you you, you look at Pod Colson and Garland to maybe produce some offense, right? Hundred percent, and that's where it's great to have someone like uh, Garland on that line, where he Garland essentially functions. And, and Green's kind of referenced this: Garland can be an in, independent play driver. It doesn't really matter who he's playing with. His elusive nature. Uh, the energy with which he's able to work at, uh, he creates chances on his own, regardless mm-hmm. of who, who he's playing with. And so he's kind of just like a spark plug. And that's a great compliment for Pod Colson because I think he's really started to build confidence as um, a supporting offensive piece, right? Like he's not, he, he's a rookie, right? He's not going to be someone who can dynamically create offense. And, and if it was just, say, like Dickinson and Pod Colson and, say, like a Matthew Hymar, I'd be worried about the team's potential to kind of create enough offense. But with Garland in the fold, it's like Pod Colson can now kind of nestle into, I think, a, 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 a strong fit for him as a complementary offensive piece. And we've seen that so far where Pod Colson seems to, on at least the goals that he's found so far, he can seek out the open ice. And, you know, when you have a player like Garland, what he does is he attracts defenders towards him. Uh, and that opens up space for someone like Pod Colson. And, you know, that's where Pod Colson's a smart player. I think he's gaining a lot of confidence in, in terms of he now knows what routes to take with and without the puck, uh, how to support the play. He's moving with a purpose and a conviction um, that uh, you didn't necessarily see in preseason, for example, when he was brand new to North American uh, ice surface. And, so he's building a comfort level there, and I think those guys are really feeding off of each other where Garland's kind of creating creating chances and, and able to function as a playmaker. And uh, with Pod Coles and he, you know, those two guys, you look at their underlying results together, they're just dominating in terms of offense, zone time, in terms of creating chances, especially off the cycle, right? Like those are two guys that Garland, you know, likes to make plays down low. Pod Colson can create havoc off the forecheck. They just seem to have built a chemistry so far, and... You know, if that's 
mm-hmm. if that's something that can last, I think that's huge for them, especially if the lotto line can get going. Well, absolutely, because right now, looking at how Pearson, Horvat, and Hoaglander have played, I mean, you know, we. I'm, I've been on the camp of, you know, get Pearson off Horvat's wing and try something different, but you can't really argue with how those guys have played in recent games as well. But how good has Niels Hoaglander been? Because I don't think his raw numbers really play, give justice to what he's provided, especially for that line recently. For sure. I mean, anyone that looks at the point totals would be like, oh, you know, the production's a little bit down compared to his rookie season, but he's just been a little bit snake-bitten. And with Hoaglander, the one thing I've noticed right from training camp is he seems a step quicker. He mm-hmm. always had that elusive nature, similar to Garland, where he could uh, be shifty, where he could evade checks. But now I see uh, an explosiveness in his first step where he's able to, say, penetrate into the middle of the ice. And that's where he's, for instance, drawn a couple of, uh, of penalties that have kind of stood out to me. And um, he's been able to kind of generate opportunities from the slot. He, you know, I see similarities between him and Garland. And, 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 and obviously Garland's at a different level. He's much more experienced in the league. I think Garland has a level of deception and processing in his, in his game that Hoaglander still has to learn with his decision-making. But in terms of just physical tools of being a little bit undersized, but feisty, um, having this kind of energizer bunny type uh, vibe to them and just being able to hunt pucks down and, you know, create entries, uh, really excel down low in the offensive zone. That's, uh, you know, that's continued to really stand out. And and that's what really, I think, allows um, that line to get the best out of Pearson and Horvat, right? Where they've referenced the ability of, we love to create offense down low. But I think what you're maybe missing from just Horvat and Pearson is a natural kind of playmaker, and that's where Hoaglander can kind of, again, you talk about drawing defenders and creating havoc. I think that's what he does really well. And it allows Pearson and Horvat to kind of, you know, they don't necessarily have to make as many plays. They're more finding the soft spots. They're playing more simple straight line games where they're mo- just moving north-south, playing a direct style. And, and, and I think that's really been, you know, Hoaglander has been able to open up space for uh, Pearson and, and Horvat. And again, when you look at, um, when that trio is played together, you talk about zone time, offenses on chances. You know they're just creating a ton of offense, and and that's where when you look at Garland and uh, Pod Colson starting to get going as well. I really like the shape of the middle six in the last few games. It's just a matter of you know now you got to get uh, the top line back to being um, a decisive X factor, and hopefully with them picking up more points. Recently, that'll help them build confidence. And, of course, the elephant in the room, uh, the PK needs to keep some pox out of the back of the net. Well, one, one more before we let you go, Harmon. Uh, Jack Rathbone has been called up to the big club. This is an opportunity for him. If you look at that left-hand side on the third pairing, there is some room for movement. What do you want to see from him to, you know, really maybe etch that role to, to be his? And, and where does he need to continue that development? I think it just comes down to building trust and defensive responsibility. And, you know, that comes down to puck management. That comes down to winning your battles down low. And, you know, that's an element where towards the middle of the preseason, I think Rathbone really started to flash on a more consistent basis. Because, you know, if you're Travis Green, you're not necessarily looking at how, you know, how much offense is Rathbone creating. I mean, that's his identity. You know that's going to come. It's about the risk-to-reward factor. Uh, He needs someone he can reliably throw over the boards and not have to worry about um, you know, if they're caught on a bad change or if it's, you know, 15 minutes left to go and you're nursing a one goal lead, 
You don't want to have to worry about having Rathbone and your third pair on the ice. And so from that element, I think it's just playing more responsibly. And, and there have been moments here and there where that's been a bit of an issue. But the thing to keep in mind, too, is, you know, at some point, um, Travis Hamannick, obviously not on this road trip, but at some point, he's going to be able to draw in as a regular player. And that's where I like the identity of a potential Rathbone Hamannick pair uh, a lot more than what we've seen to date with, for instance, uh, Rathbone Burroughs, right? Because for as much as I've, you know, enjoyed Burroughs and Flashes, the problem with Rathbone and Burroughs together is they're both really inexperienced NHL players. They've both got, I think, less than 20 games of NHL experience under their belt. And when you look at Burroughs, I think, you know, he's got similar attributes in terms of he moves around the ice well. But in zone defensively, I see similar kind of, um, you know, mistakes in terms of net front battles and, and picking up guys down low where, you know, I don't necessarily love the fit between Rathbone and Burroughs there. But once Hamnick comes back into the fold, you know, Hamnick can be the defensive conscious uh, of that pair where he can be the safety net. He can be more of a stay-at-home guy. And that can kind of free up Rathbone a little bit more to just play his game as opposed to right now where I think so far to this season, perhaps part of it has just been, you know, fit hasn't necessarily been there. So with Rathbone, obviously he's going to have to, you know, show that he can fit with Burroughs for now, but he's also, he's also got to keep in, keep in the back of his mind that if he can just play responsible two-way hockey and limit the defensive mistakes, well, then he's got uh, a partner coming uh, down the pipe that he should really be able to mesh well with stylistically. Harm, appreciate the time. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys.